Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans podcast with me, Danny Smith, and on the show this time as well is our very own health correspondent, Alan Bellinger. Hello, Alan. Hi, Danny. It's great to be with you and a very happy new year to you and a very happy new year, much more importantly, to our listener. Thank you very much, listener. (laughs) Uh, I hope it's a great one and I hope it's a healthy one. Yes. Uh, Well, and and that's kind of what we're looking at, really, isn't it? So, yeah, um, we are a load of of, uh, um, topics to cover in Health Matters this month. But where are we starting? We're we're starting with COVID and flu. you know, we've been we've been reporting COVID and flu almost every every month for God, last two years now, isn't it? It's coming up to is it, well, actually, is, that's not quite the case, is it? We've been reporting COVID for a very long time, yeah. And recently, we've been adding Abs- to it the flu. And you're gonna you're kind of covering that, really, aren't you? Exactly. We're into that one today. So let's remind ourselves that the, the, twin, the twin demics on at the moment. Flu actually is is three times more prevalent than COVID in St Albans at the moment. Um, so all of those personal hygiene matters we talked about before, they're really critical. But let's, let's just sort of go back to COVID. Uh, it's bouncing around again. Um, our peak, the last peak we had was 2,967 cases per 100,000 in St Albans. That was on December the 3rd. Um, that's, it's, it's, down, um, it's down by 30% on last week's figure, but at the moment... Um, we're running at 613 cases, so against that that peak, well down, uh, two, 2,967 down to 613. And just to show you how it's swinging around, um, the, uh, in, the, in the last week, it, in the last week, it actually dropped by 30%. So it's it's uh, COVID is is on the down at the moment. Um, and and so that's that's all good news. Uh, but flu is, is is on the up. I say it's three times more than um, than COVID. Um, and if you think back, you see it's very interesting. If you think back, say to November, if we how important is COVID versus how important is flu? We'd be petrified of of COVID and not at all cared about flu because it's only just a minor thing, isn't it? I think that's still the case with a lot of people. I think that. You know, I'm often here because so many people at the moment are unwell. Everywhere you go, people are ill. And they're all, one of the things you often hear from people, and I don't know if you, you hear the same thing, Alan, but the people are saying to me, you know, oh, yeah, I'm really suffering. Oh, it's all right. It's not COVID. And I'm thinking, no, it's not all right if it's not COVID. <laughs> I've had COVID. That was a few days and I started to feel better again. You know, I don't want the flu. I don't want to be laid up in bed for two weeks, you know. The, but the flu is more debilitating now yeah. than, than COVID. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting yeah. thing. That whole notion of, oh, it's all right, it's not COVID. No, it's not all right. Get home. Get out of my way. I don't want to have your germs. <laughs> Thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, but flu is more, much more prevalent than normal this year. And I've been hearing as well, and I don't know if there's anything that backs this up but i've heard some older people talking about oh yeah i've had all my boosters i've had all my covid jabs you know oh no i won't have the flu one no it makes me ill gives me the flu <laughs> and i don't know if that's part of the problem that people but the mate i don't know if 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 there's any information that backs this up or, or or disputes this but i worry that the flu might be spreading because there might be people not getting their flu jabs but they are getting their COVID jabs. You're exactly right. I mean, the data for St Albans is that the COVID, uh, there's, there's much less hesitancy towards the COVID jab than there is towards the flu jab. Yeah. Although that is changing. I think over time, 
I think people are coming a bit more blase and saying, well, I've had all the jabs and I haven't had, had COVID, so uh, yeah, I might give the next booster a miss. And that, or that they had that, it, but it was mild, you know. So yeah, that's, that, that's very worrying. So that's very worrying. Okay, so... so, so, so um, but yeah, we've, we're, we're in the twindemic. Um, but although the COVID numbers are coming down, the COVID numbers in hospital are going up. Um, and, and I say that significantly up. When we, when we were talking in, on the December podcast in Lister, um, there were 35 people in. Right now, there are 75 people in the Lister. So, so it's more than doubled. More than doubled. And, and in Watford, it's up from 23 to 77. So it's more than tripled. It's tripled. And so um, the, you know, the, it's a real concern. It's, COVID is, is, um, is, is not as prevalent as it has been, it's good, but it is bouncing around. So uh, if Now, I might be putting you on the spot here because you may not have this information and it may not even be available, but how does that compare to how many people are in hospital with the flu? Or is this a mixture of cold and flu, these numbers, uh, COVID and flu? Is... is is it? Do we know? No, I think I think the COVID number is is accurate, but we don't know how many. I don't know how many. Yeah, I said we. I, it's, yeah, it's me. I don't know because I haven't asked the right questions. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> is, is that something? Is that a question we should be asking? Because are we? Is there a danger we could be looking at this in isolation, and that it could well be that flu numbers are higher or hospitalisation for flu is higher, but on a year-on-year basis, it's about the same. But of course, that doesn't take into account the current state of the nhs so even if the demand is the same as previous years if the nhs can't cope this year when they could cope in previous years that's a big concern i'm trying to put all that to one side yeah but do, do you get what i mean that that i think i i worry that maybe we look at some of this stuff in isolation and mm. and uh, yeah you know um when when covid first started rearing its head back in 2020 very early 2020 there was there was a lot of people saying um, but it didn't seem like their voices were being heard as much that that you know all these people that were starting to catch covid but but it's no worse than the winter flu and each year you know so many thousands of people die of the flu every mm. year you know let's not get too alarmed by this however covid went on to take on a life of its own yeah but but nonetheless how much of that is it how much of that is relevant because sadly the people die from the flu every year and that's a fact of life and we live with that mm. Is, is, is it now that COVID is serious, but the flu is more serious because we've taken our eye off the flu? We, we certainly taken our eye off it, and I shall take it as a, as a personal challenge to get that figure for next month. Well, only if you think it's relevant as a comparison. Well, I don't really know well, if it is or not. But, but well, let's get the comparison and we can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because I, I, I worry that people have taken their eye off the flu, yeah. that they are uh, forgetting how serious and deadly the flu can be. For most of us, it's an inconvenience for maybe up to a week or two. But for older, more vulnerable people, it could be a death sentence. And we yep. forget that. Mm. Uh, and be, Because also, I suppose, often they don't say people died of the flu. They say oh, they died of something else, but it was because of the flu that led to that complication that led to that person's death um whereas with covid people were saying oh yeah they died of covid um, yeah. you know so i think people forget that the flu is dangerous exactly no it, it, it is but but i will get that number i will get that number <laughs> all right but but i guess the message is is still the same isn't it all the precautions that we should have been taking with covid we should be taking with the flu exactly if we've got symptoms try and stay away from vulnerable people yep. wash hands wear a mask if we if we've got any kind of symptoms as well uh, and 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 yeah 
all that sort of good hygiene, yeah? Oh, it's all, all current, all, all needed. And as we'll see from uh, the, session, the next section, um, it's, it's going to be needed even more because um, there's something around called the Kraken at the moment. Okay, uh, and we'll hear about that in just a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for this St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the St Albans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning. For more information, visit stalbanspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. So tell us about... I feel like it needs a sound effect. Tell us about The Kraken. The (laughs) Kraken. Go on, do you want to have a go? Go on, you say it. The Kraken. (laughs) Wow. Now we've just made light of it, haven't we? And it's actually not that... It is a bit more serious than that. But this is the... What idiot came up with a name? Like, naming this after a monster? What what a splendid idea. uh, It was an American idea that... Basically, because... um, Because these... Well, let's just... Talk for a second. Okay, because um, we actually said what it is, have we? Sorry. So, so, uh, you know, in the early days of COVID, we were talking about the alpha variants and the, the the beta and the delta and all of that sort of stuff, and then along came this thing called the Omicron variant. It actually, uh, we've, we've we've had Omicron variant has been the most dominant variant for the last twelve months, and and so all that talk initially about alpha and beta and so on, it was changing. It, it all changed into the Omicron, and that's been a constant all the time. But the Omicron variant has, has developed sub-variants. In, in actual fact, there's over 650 sub-variants of Omicron. Most of them are, are come and go very quickly and therefore aren't of, aren't of concern. Um, but, but suddenly we have a, variant, a sub-variant called the Kraken, that is of concern. So this is still Omicron, but this is a, this is a, a, a sub-variant, sub-variant of, of Omicron. Omicron. And, and, and you, you ask why they come up with some stupid names. Um, well, because, because initially it was all Alpha and Beta and Delta. But, but those were variants, once, aren't they? Once they have names, they are more understandable by people. Okay. Um, so um, you know, the... the um, they came, it's an American that came up with this idea that we should have names for these sub-variants. And they, yeah. and they, because the naming it, convention for the variants is, is Greek letters of the alphabet. And so now they've come but up with... But sub-variants is, don't is, have a name. Fi- fictional monsters. Okay. Um, and, and so they came so up... So why is this... So if there's been 650 and we could ignore most of them, why not this one? Um, fundamentally... The, this, this new variant, Kraken, accounts for over 30% of new cases in the States at the moment. Okay. And so when, when it's that sort of virulent, mm. uh, it becomes a, 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 vari- a variant of concern. And how does that compare to here? There's just 4% here. But is this something where looking to America is, is kind of like looking into our future slightly, that, that, that whatever's prevalent there will become prevalent here? It could be. Right. It, it, it could be. And, and fundamentally, people just, you know, the scientists don't know at the moment whether that will cause a big spike here. Right. Um, but but it's, it's, so at 4% at the moment, that means that it does exist in the country, 
whether it's in St Albans specifically or not, I don't know, but yeah. it is in the country. And so once it's here, it could it could well spread. Um, and so, um, and, and the point is really that it's not only virulent, but it is causing quite a high level of, of hospitalizations and deaths at the moment. So it's not only variant, it is it, it, it has found a way of getting around many of the antibodies um, and therefore is quite um, difficult in terms of, of hospitalizations and deaths because at, at the moment in New York and New Jersey, hospitalizations and deaths are at an all-time high. Okay. E- even higher than, than we, when we were back in the early days of COVID. Yeah. You know, Watford Hospital had 400 people in there with, uh, with, with COVID. At the moment, it's 75, so yeah. it's way down. Well, that's because all the rest are, are waiting out in corridors somewhere. That's yeah. why the numbers are <laughs> but, lower. But no, but just put that into context. That, that um, Yeah, this it, is the highest yet. It, it's the highest yet in, in New York and New Jersey. So um, it is, it is. we talk about this variant of concern, the, the concern is much greater than uh, one would normally expect. And so we have to be cautious and make sure, it, as, it, as it is here, we need to keep, as we were saying just now, we have to keep going with all these hygiene precautions mm. still because uh, it is still dangerous. Okay. But, but again, in order of trying to give some sort of context to this, what, you, what you're saying as well is that, that the Kraken subvariant isn't uh, more uh, dangerous than, than the other ones. It's, 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 but it's the fact that it seems to be able to evade the vaccine a little exactly. bit. That's the concern. So yes. it, it, it's not... It's no more dangerous than any of the other ones, but the vaccinations were more effective against the other ones. This one seems to be being a little bit trickier. Precisely the point. Okay. So, yeah, let's keep uh, let's keep that hygiene uh, regime going. And, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I can't remember which mythical figure it was that killed the Kraken now. Was it... Um, is it Jason or you know him in the Argonauts or something? I can't remember now. No, I don't, I don't think it was Jason, was it? Because the Kraken is a sea creature. Yeah, and Jason was something on land, wasn't it? I can't remember now. I, I know in in one of the Clash of the Titans films, I remember Liam Neeson going, "Unleash the Kraken," and, and then they had to fight it or something. But I don't, I'm not blaming Liam Neeson, by the way. If his legal team are listening, I'm not saying that this variant is his fault. Absolutely, sub variant. But anyway, we'll have more from Alan in a moment. I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast, One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week, I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is, you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one-to-one with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. We are back with Bellinger. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's look now at the NHS. Yes, everyone's everyone's sort of saying, "What's wrong with the the NHS?" Everyone's having a poke and, and saying, "That's this is what they do," and so on. So I thought, I thought, well, we can't let this go um, un, untended. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have my own little. Um, update of, of what's wrong okay. this, this, uh, just, just before yeah. you do as well yeah. i just wanted to put this again into a degree of context because uh, alan you are i would have said there can't be many people around 
in in the area in the country who have a better view of the NHS than you do. You are very, very heavily involved with various areas of the NHS, aren't you? You you serve on various committees. You 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 help represent. Um, you've been involved with like GP practices. You've been involved with NHS trusts and and everything in between. So, y- your your thoughts on this are. I, I just wanted to qualify it for the listener so that they they perhaps appreciate that you you do see quite a lot of the NHS. You know, is this you're you, you're not just a, a bloke down the end of the pub with a pub bar with an opinion, are you? you, you this is this is quite um, you know you, you, you've got qualifications oh, that bear this out. Thanks for the build up. Well, I, I mean, do, do you disagree with that? No, I don't. Well, I'm, you're too modest to say it, but no, but I I do have. Uh, well, I'm, I'm starting a, a new initiative. I'm starting a blog um, for the Patients Association. Uh, in the, the next um, few weeks, and, that, and that's going to be t- entitled uh, 10 Years as a, a Patient Group Chair." So I've, uh, I, I've 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 got a fair amount of, uh, but it, it's fundamentally it's it's the fact that uh, what 10 years ago I had virtually no experience of the NHS at all until I started volunteering on it, and I just got myself more and more involved. and And it's the case of someone looking at it from a commercial point of view, uh, who's a private sector point of view, who's had no previous experience of the public sector and finding all sorts of interesting comparisons but um, yeah, there's no doubting that the NHS is in a state of, of crisis at the moment um, we've got the longest ever A&E went ambulance waiting times the strikes um, the ever-growing um, list of people on the uh, waiting for elective surgery um, so it's all it's all a bit of a perfect storm that uh, there's lots of problems from the supply side and at the same time the demand side is higher than it's ever been and then when you add covid, COVID to, to the mix as well exactly so this is what we were saying earlier that that on the one hand maybe there's a comparison to be drawn with what what the NHS has to cope with every year with with winter flu and the like but on the other hand the NHS has never been in the position it's currently in at the moment and so things that it could take in its stride a couple of years ago could break it this time around it's it, it, it's it's good old economics of supply and demand isn't it the uh, demand is going up and the supply is going down at the same time um so um you then have to say, well, what is wrong with the NHS? And I, I couldn't resist coming up with my own solution. So I did some research, as I, as I would normally do. Um, I, I trawled around four of the um, St Albans Surgery's uh, websites to look at what is the proportion of people employed within the surgery that are healthcare professionals as opposed to people on administration. And... Um, yeah, I, I just I just wonder what your thoughts are, Danny. Because uh, when I was running a business, you know, if ever the admin side got over fifteen percent of uh, of the business, I'd be um, asking questions and. Um um, I, I, I think you, in my in my very um, unqualified opinion, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I, I, I had a friend who years ago, uh, his wife had got a job at the NHS, pretty much straight out of university, got some um, sort of mid management position, you know, as a graduate, and she was she was very excited because she was given a brochure which contained. Um, lots of like a catalogue basically and she could pick out furniture um, um, stuff for her her new office that they would decorate for her and she had a catalogue of the NHS art collection and she could choose something from that catalogue that could go up on her wall and she was just saying you know it's great and I've got a budget of x thousand pounds to spend on my office and 
And I was aghast. I was absolutely aghast that, that, that the NHS could afford to spend this much money on somebody's office, that they had an art collection. Why haven't they sold that years ago? You know, <laughs> I, I, just, I just found this incredible. And then I, I sort of thought, surely what would happen if, if I was made the chief executive of the NHS and I could do whatever I wanted, if I fired every single administrator who wasn't medically qualified, what would happen to the NHS and replace them with medical people? Would, w- what would happen? And I cannot help but think it, ma- it might not crumble. Yeah. Was, was my, so I don't know if that's kind of what you're alluding to I'm going, here. I'm going, down that, I'm going down that line, yes. Yeah. But so so we've, got, we've got this, what would be the, the percentage of admin to, the, um, to healthcare professionals? And, and I, I'm, I'm saying 15% from a commercial point of view would be a starting figure. See, I would have said that. So, now of course we're talking about one area, and it might it will be vastly different in different places. But I don't know, twenty five percent locally. I, yeah, I think you certainly you should put it. You think of putting it up to twenty five percent. Yeah, so twenty five percent admin well, in in GP practices locally compared to seventy five percent of of medical. Not necessarily. I'm not saying doctors, that, but that could be a good target, couldn't it? Because you've, oh. got, you've got to recognise that that uh, people on reception. Uh, come under admin, yeah. But they, but they, they are patient facing, yeah. So they, they. So really, they, you should, you know, they're frontline rather than rather than back office. So, so let's think of including them. So that's pushing us up to twenty five. So maybe twenty five, maybe even thirty. Let's be a bit generous, right? Yeah. Do you reckon that's reasonable? No. I, so clearly, then, from what you're telling me, I'm nowhere near, am I? <laughs> no. <laughs> The, the percentage across these four, four St. Albans practices was 48% were healthcare professionals and 52% were admin. I mean, that is astounding, isn't it? It's a, 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 and so it's not showing it's just one's, one's surgery that's a bit out of kilter. It, it's so that, it just, it and that just, was from four surgeries? From did you four say? surgeries in St. Albans, yes. And and I, I they, am I right thinking that that's about half of the St Alban surgeries? Is there about seven uh, or eight? What, no, there's probably more, yes, there's probably more than that. So right. yeah, yeah. I'm guessing four relatively big ones, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but uh, give me time, I'll do them all. If you <laughs> well, <laughs> but but that but that's staggering. So the conclusion is, if if you cut admin by by twenty five percent and put that money onto the front line, wouldn't that be fabulous? Now. To play devil's advocate here for a moment, because I kind of feel I should, even though I completely agree with you, um, <laughs> could GP practices say, ah, but this isn't our fault, we can't employ doctors at the moment, we cannot get, we cannot recruit, we don't have a full roster of doctors. If we had a full roster of doctors, it would be different. Is that an argument that could be levied against what you've discovered? It, it, it probably it account for a bit, but really not that much. I mean, so... Um, <clears throat> they are under headcount. Almost all surgeries are under headcount um, on their on their doctors and particularly on their nursing staff. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that that would by doing that that would bring it up to sort of the fifty fifty mark. Right. But it's it's still um, so it's still a way to go though. Fiddling with the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Um, and that's just GP practices, which is just one small corner of the NHS. Yeah. Uh, and so it makes you I mean it'd be staggering if you did that with hospitals how many hospital staff uh, and I don't think I'd want to see the figures because I bet you it's no better is it well you've got all of the all of the staff of the um, the integrated care boards all of the staff at uh, 
uh, then monitoring everything of, of Eastern Eng of England level, and that all goes up into the NA. So um, yeah, it's just it, it just goes right through the system. The admin is just and so if you could actually shift some of that funding to the front line and cut out some of the back office stuff, you'd improve productivity enormously. Um, yeah. But then the problem is you can't find the doctors and nurses, so uh, no. you're into it. And also it just seems like it's run now by bureaucrats, not by medical professionals, that, that you know, the CEOs of each of these d different trusts, uh, I, I'm, I'm making assumptions here, but I'm guessing that not many of them are medically qualified. Their, their experience is in being a CEO, not being a, a doctor, not being some other kind of healthcare professional. Yeah. And it does seem invariably, when we hear about a major failing of a trust, which we hear relatively frequently, it, you know, the CEO goes and they just replace him with another one. Exactly. And, and, and I think that's, they're not... I was listening to a, a, a podcast recently because, listener, there are other ones, not just this. I was listening to a politics podcast where they were discussing the NHS. And one of the, the thing, conclusions that they shared was that they feel that it, the way that the government approaches the NHS is a bit like somebody who owns a house and the roof is leaking. So in order to sort that out, they're paying more for plumbers rather than fixing the leaking roof. And, and they say that, that, that governments, and not just the current government, but governments have been accused of taking that approach to healthcare and to trying to fix the NHS by employing more plumbers rather than more people who can fix the roof. And I don't know if your experience bears that out or not. Well, another symptom of that is, is calling the surgery at 8.01 in the morning and being told the list is full, call back tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's, it's, and, it's a... Yeah. And how many people might have died because of that? How many people would have that that, that could have led to a complication that would have in turn led to a, you know a, a downturn which which cost a life? That that's that's bound to have happened. Well, they have identified cases, haven't they, where um, lack of response from the surgery has led to deaths. So. Yeah, but I think I think what's identified is is pretty much the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, it, it's. But, <clears throat> But in contrast to this, I, I'm, I'm going to move on to our next subject. Because, okay, yes. Because, because last night I, I chaired a webinar um, on prostate cancer. And, and this was delivered by um, a, a really top expert in, in, uh, in a London expert um, who's called Professor Heather Payne, who very in, almost instantly at the start of the webinar told me to stop calling her Professor Payne and call her Heather. So... <laughs> And, and 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 Heather, so she's this is this is a lady who is absolutely phenomenal on prostate cancer, and she described her patients as her boys. Every time she referred to her patients, it was always her boys. And um, I mean, she's in her fifties, and her I would suspect the average age of her parent is close, her patients is 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 close to the mid six mid to upper 60s <laughs> but, but they're still, but they're her, still boys. her boys right. but, but it was just it was just a phenomenal um, webinar last night uh, as I said 366 people on it um, <clears throat> and, and I thought I'd, I'd give you a couple of snippets so what, one of the facts that she talked about um, was that uh, what, what makes men more likely to be susceptible to getting uh, prostate cancer and, and there are there are five contributors um, age was the first one. Um, typically, the, the curve starts uh, in the 40s and just keeps going up and up and up. 
until the mid-70s when it starts coming down again because everyone that's likely to get it has got it by then. Um, diet is a major one. This was a fascinating one. Heather gave the example of, of ja uh, Japanese men. Um, in, in, if they're in Japan, they're very unlikely to get ca uh, prostate cancer. But when they move to the States and start eating um, uh, McDonald's, um, other varieties are also uh, to be found. Yeah, yeah. don't get us sued by McDonald's, please. You know, you, <laughs> but you mean fast food, when they're, when, when, when they're, of which, you know, obviously McDonald's is one fine example of, of a fast food vendor. Uh, but the, the numbers go... So, uh, I'll see you in court. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's just an example of... Um, of how diet can affect uh, prostate cancer. Mm. Um, so does obesity. Uh, I think that follows naturally from diet. Um, but ethnicity is also a contributor, and, and family history too. So uh, my son, my, my great-grandchildren, and uh, my great-great-grandson, better watch out. Um, <laughs> but here's another point that I, felt I, was, I found, we found out last night from Heather, um, that... that what, what causes um, prostate cancer uh, is testosterone. And, and testosterone, um, we generate all the time through our, through our, our, our male lifetimes. Um, but but towards, at some point in our, in our lifetime, then that starts to, to, to generate and to feed the cancerous cells. So the way of treating prostate cancer is basically cut out the testosterone because that that means that um, the cancerous cells aren't getting fed anymore and, and therefore they die, okay. fairly obviously. Yeah. Um, but what Heather said last night was that in, in an advanced cancer, those cancer cells develop the ability to generate their own testosterone so that they can then eat it and that keeps them alive. And, and just, isn't the human body fascinating? Yeah, that it's, really is. Absolutely amazing. So, um, so dear listener, that the, we we did record the um, this, this webinar last. Yeah, night. and if you'd like to see that, um, if you want to watch that back, uh, then uh, go to sanormanspodcast uh, forward slash health matters, and uh, we will post that webinar there. And that's where you'll be able to see all the webinars that Alan Alan does, uh, because every month there is a fascinating subject that has something to do with health, and you get hundreds of people that that join in on these things live, and and then goodness knows how many that watch it back afterwards as well. Exactly. So no, it's, it, it, we, we, what we find is that almost twice as many watch the video as actually watched it live. So wow. uh, people do watch. And, and the, the number of people that have told me, I, I enjoyed the webinar, but going back onto and looking at the, 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 um, the video again really consolidated it in my mind. Just, okay. just incredible. SanOwensPodcast.com forward slash health matters, and you will find that, and you'll find all the articles that Alan has written for us as well. Now, uh, finally, Alan, um, procrastination. Procrastination is a killer. What a headline is yeah. that one? From prostate uh, to procrastinate. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's some new research in, in Sweden um, that shows that um, actually, if, if you procrastinate, you are, if you're high on the procrastination scale, you are more likely to have issues with health than... Um, than someone who's more instantaneous in their decision making, um, I, I just thought that was quite quite interesting. The, the um, 
They, so they, they, at the beginning of the study, they, they did a, a, a test, put people onto a procrastination index, and then monitored them over the time to see what sort of health issues they had. And, and what they showed was that the more, procra- the, the more you're liable to cr- procrastinate, um, the more you're likely to experience disabling pain or have poor sleep quality or feel loneliness or depression. And so um, there's a message there don't procrastinate. They don't quite know why that's the case. It could be that if you procrastinate, you leave your visit to the to the doctor longer than you should have done. Um, or, it, or it could simply be a case that, uh, that the poor physical health leads you to procrastinate slightly more. So, uh, well, well, I guess if, if we look at it in its simplest terms, to procrastinate is to put something off, isn't it? And you just sort of think, oh, I'll yeah. do, do that later. Yep. And, and I guess that attitude can lead to all the things you're talking about. You know, if you've got a pain... And you think, oh, I'll go to the. Do- I can't be bothered to go to the doctor now. That could be very bad if you don't get something sorted quickly. If you think, oh, I'll go to bed. Oh, I'll go to bed later. I'll just watch another episode or something on Netflix first. You know that leads to poor sleep quality. Oh, I, I can't be bothered to 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 cook healthily. I'll just order a takeaway. That you know, all those things are. It's putting things off, isn't it? Yep. Yep. So I think in its simplest terms, try not to do that. Try not to put things off. Um, and you even mentioned here about loneliness and depression. Well, sometimes one can get into a routine of, of not doing social things, of putting off calling friends or family, of, of, of pushing yourself to go out a bit more. Often there's reasons why, and, and maybe it's not easy. But nonetheless, by doing that, you, you are having impacts on your health in, in different ways. Yeah, it's, it, it's, um, it's certainly, there's certainly a link. There's yeah. certainly a link. As, as my nan used to say, never put off to tomorrow what you can do today. <laughs> uh, and then as my granddad used to say, never put off to tomorrow what you can put off indefinitely. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess the middle ground is what you're the looking for. The middle ground is great, yes. Yeah. And, uh, it, thanks, Danny. It's been great being with you. Oh, thank you, Alan. Um, it's, it's always good. Uh, health Matters is 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 a, a project that alan has has put a lot of time and effort and blood and sweat into and uh it, it's 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 wonderful the way that you share uh, so much of what what's important about health matters with local people and beyond and it's lovely to see that it's growing uh, do go to health matters um do go to the health matters part of the website if you go to st there's a link there that says health matters but you can go straight there by going to st forward slash health matters you can see the various articles that alan has written you can see the webinars and you can generally stay up to date with 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 all the health uh, information that alan brings to us every month thank you thank you very much and uh, look forward to next month listener yeah and uh, we will be back uh, again real soon uh, coming up on friday uh, we have the st albans podcast film guide with max hartington he'll be he'll be chatting nonsense about movies and stuff uh, but he'll be uh, looking at the new releases in the cinema and some of his top choices of films to watch on tv for the week ahead uh, do find out more about the st albans podcast by following our social media uh, platforms we are on facebook twitter and instagram where we are at st albans podcast and you can also find out more on our website at st see ya thanks for listening to this edition of the st albans podcast with danny smith If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. Join us, the St. Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with the Heart Advertiser. 
If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.